Welcome to the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast, where we bring you interesting and hopefully entertaining and informative podcasts about a myriad of topics. This time, we're talking about social media and tech. Mark Smith from the Psychological Society of Ireland is our expert guest. Is it specifically for children we're talking about, Mark? I think as we go through this discussion, we'll see that there is a lot of responsibility on all of us in terms of how we use technology. So adults can't always be let off the hook. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we look at kids and try to limit them, but then we set bad examples as role models when we, you know, we, we ask them to do something while we're staring at our phone or we tell them, you can't do this, but I can. So that's a surefire way to make sure that a child won't take us seriously if we don't role model it. So no, we're, we're not off the hook either. Fair enough. We'll start at the beginning. Children are being introduced to social media at a younger age than ever. You'll see parents give their, their kids a phone just to keep them quiet. Mm. How early should we be letting them on social media? See, it depends on what you define it. So at the moment, most of the discussion centres around screen time. Mm-hmm. But again, screen time is such a broad concept, it's it's pretty much less than useless because we don't know what that means. So if they're in school and they're looking at the big white interactive board, is that screen time? Yeah. If they're looking at, you know, some sort of interactive content at the cinema, is that screen time? So screen time in itself or how children engage in technology is too broad to be any use. So we need to move beyond that and look at content. So there's, there's content and there's also how long and there's also what else is it replacing. So I know that with my kids when they were quite young, yes, they would have got very time limited time on the iPad looking at Jolly Phonics. So they were learning songs and they were singing along the rhymes and the actions along to it. But I was in control and they didn't get beyond that. So we know that at the moment, most media references that occur to screen time reference the American Academy of Pediatrics, which will say no screen time under two and less than two hours under this. Mm-hmm. But we do know from an evidence point of view, there's no evidence to back up those guidelines. So because of that gap at the moment, ourselves in PSI, our counterparts in the British Psychological Association and in the American Psychological Association are actually going through and trawling through the evidence at the moment. And we're looking at trying to come up with evidence-based guidelines to inform parents about what the evidence says. We're hoping to have that by the end of the year. So at least then we'll have international guidelines that are based on evidence and not as unfortunately we have with, with social media and technology and kids, we have a lot of moral panics out there. Mm. And we see our role is to provide the evidence and to counteract those moral panics. So if they're spending three or four hours on a screen, but three of them are learning hours, well, then that's worthwhile. I think not necessarily either. No. So I think we do need to put those boundaries in. And most of the difficulties that I incur with children and parents and technology is that they have been playing it for hours and hours. Mm. Parents realise, oh, this, this is a problem. They won't let go of it. They won't give it up. And we get a big reaction to it. So we could have it with a, a child who has a temper tantrum, who screams and cries. Mm. We could maybe have a slightly older child who will kind of throw something or make a threat up to a teenager. And, and unfortunately, this is the case where teenagers say, look, no, let me have this, keep the Wi-Fi on or I'll hurt myself or I might kill myself. Yeah. So they're impossible situations for a parent to be in where they know and their instinct is they need to come off the technology, but they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Because the parent or the child are struggling, the parent is struggling to manage the child's emotional reaction. So, countering all of this discussion, if we give a child access to technology, we have to do so with very clear terms and conditions attached. Otherwise, it's the parent's responsibility. So, I have great difficulties with these terms that are being bandied around, like, you know, children are addicted to games. Mm. I don't believe in that. And I know people will argue with me against that. I don't think a child can be addicted to it if they're allowed. So if you allow a child to sit for three, four, five, six hours a day, I don't see that as being the issue with the child. I see as the parent going, why have you let them do it for that long? So if we put clear boundaries in place from the beginning and also consequences for what happens if you go over it, then it's not going to become a difficulty. But also it's about looking at balance. So 
technology and access to technology is part of everyday life now. The genie is not going back in the bottle. Mm, mm. So children need to have a balance between exercise. They need to be out and about <coughs> playing. So I know my son, he, he gets to play FIFA or Lego City on a Saturday morning after he's been to GA and run around for an hour and a half. But the makers of these games do make them to want you to get onto the next level so you can so you have to do well. Yeah, I hear this argument all the time. I'm going to reference Netflix. I'm mm. going to reference Coronation Street. Yeah. Any serial where at the end of it you've got a cliffhanger and you want more. But where do we stop with this? Do mm. we have a Netflix addiction? Do we have a Coronation Street addiction? A shopping addiction? You know, when we have a sale and they knock 10% off or 20% to get you in there. So again, we have these things and yes, they're supposed to be enjoyable. If gaming or these things weren't enjoyable, they wouldn't sell. It's, mm. a, it's a business and we know that. But again, it's about us imposing a boundary on it and to say, actually, no, that's enough. You need to come off or here's how long you can have it for. So I know with my son, he gets it for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, ironically, I use Alexa. I use the timer, Alexa timer, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. At the end of the 20 minutes, the, the little alarm sounds and he puts down the controller because he knows if he doesn't, the next time he looks for it, he will get less time. Yeah. So again, it's us being in control and making sure that not only that they're using it for a certain amount of time, but what are they looking at? So it is understandable in a very fast-paced life. Parents are busy with work. They've got things to be done around the house, cooking the dinner. You know, there's a lot of pressures on parents that, yes, during the dinner, is it helpful? Is it useful for them to have the kids sitting in front of a screen for, for 20 minutes? Of course it is. But we need to also then come in and sit down and go, what are you looking at? Yeah. To keep an eye on it. Watch it with them. To have a watchful eye to make sure that if they're looking at the screen, it's in a communal area, not up in their bedroom where we can't see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work on parents to make sure if they're accessing it, it is in a safe and age appropriate way. If you're going to put a time on it, presumably you're better off saying it at the beginning. Rather yeah. than halfway through. It's got to be like, this yeah, is 20 abs- minutes. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I, I know I'm stating the obvious, no, but no, just to be but, sure. To but be it, sure. you have to state the obvious because sometimes that's not what happens. Mm. A parent will arbitrarily decide that, actually, I think you've had enough. Yeah. But I'm in the middle of this level and you didn't tell me. And then you get a big reaction. Yeah. And then it becomes about the reaction rather than the boundary. So from the very, very beginning, here's the ter- you can have it, but here's for how long. And if you don't agree with those terms, well, then you won't be getting it. Mm. So in the same way that when we were small, I want to go out to play out the front. Okay, you can go out, but you have to be back in for dinner. Yeah, You can't go past the end of the cul-de-sac. And if you do, you won't be going out tomorrow. So technology, the medium might have changed, yeah. but the basics of parenting and boundaries haven't. We just need to make sure we put them in place. The rules are the same. So that's uh, talking about gaming. Let's move on to social media. Mm. When should you allow your child to have social media accounts? This has been a a fairly contentious debate over the last two years in particular. So we know in 2018 there were long debates in the Oireachtas and publicly around something called the Digital Age of Consent. Yeah. So what that said is that to for a young person to sign up to a social media platform they had to be of a certain age if below that they need a parental consent. Mm-hmm. So within European law it could set between 13 and 16 in the end, um, it, it was set as 16 by the government. They were, they were defeated by the opposition. So in theory, that gives this kind of supposed protection for children that under 16s will have parental consent and, and informed consent before they access it. But in talking to young people, which I, I do every day in my job, they give me this wonderful analogy of having a locked door in the middle of a field. It gives you the illusion of protection, mm. but it's just an illusion you walk around it. And, and to illustrate that, so when the legislation came into effect, WhatsApp updated the app. And on your phone, when it updated, it came up with two buttons on it, one red cross and one green tick, asking you, are you over 16? Now, if you take any normal, typical 13 or 14-year-old and they're faced with that choice, 
you can guess what they're going to, mm-hmm. to choose. So again, it's not necessarily the platform, but how they're using it. So for most, and, and these things evolve and change over time. So when I was younger, yeah. not, not young, <clears throat> um, Bebo was a thing. Right, yeah. And it was very, very popular. And then something interesting happened. It got replaced by Facebook. And now Facebook is not popular with teenagers anymore. Mm. And the one reason they're not popular... Because the parents got their parents joined yeah. and they all leave. Yeah. So at the moment, it's Instagram and Snapchat are the two most common, most popular TikTok coming up far, be, you know, not far behind. Yeah. And over time, they will lose popularity because it'll be invaded by adults. So we know with Facebook that the fastest growing segment are women age fifty five plus. Yeah. So with all due respect to women of the age group, most thirteen year olds don't want to be sharing anywhere near them. No, and that's just the way teenagers are. Absolutely. Yeah, and and like there are. There are risks. There are a lot of risks mm. to being online, to using social media platforms. There are people out there who want to take advantage of children. There yeah. is content that is inappropriate that does have a negative impact on children's stress and their emotions. But again, bring it back a little bit to kind of the question you had about how long and what they're doing mm. it for and by terms and conditions. So one of the greatest difficulties I find with young people and the reluctance <laughs> to discuss things that have happened online. So they might have received a picture of someone's genitalia unsolicited, sent to them. Mm -hmm. They see an image of self-harm. They see an image that generally distresses them and they don't know what to do about it. The single biggest reason they don't come to their parents and talk to them about it, as they should. You know, when we see something distressing, we should talk to a trusted adult, mostly Mm -hmm. our parents. The reason they don't is because their single biggest terror is they're going to take the phone off me. And from a parent's perspective, that makes complete sense. Mm. I want to protect my child from seeing inappropriate or harmful content because there are a lot of online harms that occur. But because there isn't a conversation in advance of if you see something that's upsetting or harmful, you can come to me, you can talk to me about it and we'll discuss what we will do. But a parent's instinct is, give me the phone, Mm. take it away from me. And they will do it in in terms of, without specificity of how long it's for. So I've had conversations with parents and young people of, you can have the phone back when I can trust you again. Yeah. What does that mean? And I, I will always remember one really insightful young person who said to me that, look, Mark, if I committed murder, I'd be said to my joy and I'd know when I'm getting out. <laughs> yes. But when my parents say, when I trust you, when is that? So they need to know that, yes, I might have to step in and put a limit on your phone to be able to protect you for a set period of time. And here's how long it'll be. And here's how you can get it back when, you know, these steps you can take so I can trust you with it. But generally withdrawing technology from kids and saying you can't have it makes it more appealing. So, for example, we take the phone away Mm. and then they go to school with their friends or standing outside McDonald's or Starbucks. They take the friend's phone and they log into their account and they get access anyway. So we need to be talking about communication and relationships because no matter what has happened with technology over the years, be that gaming or... TV or the cinema or books back in the 50s when there was content that was there if it disturbed us the thing that helped us was that relationship that supportive understanding relationship we had in an adult so that hasn't changed with social media it is more prevalent but the basics of supporting and helping children hasn't changed Is there an age when you when they should be allowed go on social media? And again it's, this is this typical response from a psychologist it depends <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we're, 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 we're well known for kind of sitting on the fence and saying it depends but it does because it depends on so many factors like age maturity yeah. prior history what it is that they're going to do their knowledge about settings I have great difficulty with young people who think they're omnipotent so they look at me in my 40s and think well, what would you know about technology you're old mm-hmm. um, but they sometimes over believe their confidence levels and they think look it's fine everybody I know everybody on my, that follows me on Instagram um, because everyone on Instagram is nice or that, you know, there aren't 
bad people that are coming after me. It happens to people in America or yeah. people in Australia, but not to me. So young people can be a little naive about the actual dangers that are out there or they can be naive or privacy settings. And I'll give you one example. So one would be with geolocation. So when you get most phones, when you take a camera, location settings is often turned on, mm-hmm. which, okay, great. We get to know where we took the photo. But if you upload that photo to Instagram, it also uploads the GPS coordinates of where that photo was taken. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have your Instagram profile on private, suddenly we have ability to track foot by foot by foot everywhere you've been and yeah. show patterns. And again, for, for kids who might be a little bit more vulnerable or people who want to take advantage of them, this allows them to do that. So I have those kind of conversations with kids and go, really? You, you know this? What about this? What about reverse image searching? Mm. They go, what's that? Yeah. So again, it's engaging them in the conversation and, and not being hypocritical about it and that, you know, you don't know anything about it. Well, mm. then I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah. So we need to engage with them on their level and engage with the technology. So looking at what they're joining, what's it all about? I mean, it's as simple as if you type into Google what every parent needs to know about Snapchat. It'll give you a one-page summary of here are the, the mechanics of how it works. Here's mm-hmm. what some of the concerns are. So I feel that there's a divide sometimes with some of the language that's used. So we, there's this term that's used, digital natives, saying that it's only the kids that because they've grown up with it, they get it. Mm. I think it's an excuse. I think there's no reason why any of us, if we want to know about TikTok, about Instagram, SimSimi, Sarara, or any of these things, that we don't pick up Google and type it in and find out what it's about. The information is there. We just need to be able to not use an excuse or not say, well, I, I don't know about that sort of thing. Yeah. If a child is going on a sleepover to a new friend's house, we will pick up the phone, we'll call, find out who the parent is, where do they live? We'll want to know what it is. If they're engaging in behaviour that potentially could be risky, and it is a lot of time, mm. we need to do the same. We need to find out about it and not just sit back and wait till something bad happens. Is there any way of monitoring what they're doing? There is, um, and there are limits are important. And again, back to the the basis of limits on time. Mm. But we have things like, say, NetNanny and other programs like that or or programs that we could put onto the routers that allow us to have some, and I mean some, degree of control around Mm. it. But you put NetNanny on your system at home and Johnny goes to his friend and he looks on his phone on YouTube and he types into YouTube how to bypass NetNanny. It'll give him a step-by-step guide to get around it. So yes, we can use it, but we don't want to lull ourselves into a false sense of security that my child is now safe online because I've got a, a system there that I think is because if they you know we take away the Wi-Fi and they sit outside McDonald's where they got we Wi-Fi <laughs> yes. they get access anyway or look around your neighbourhood and you might see a particular wall where the kids just happen to always sit on it why is that wall so popular? What is it? Is it comfortable? No, more than likely the neighbour has no password on their Wi-Fi (laughs) and they're all accessing it. So we need to be realistic that yes, we can put in controls, but also they're not always going to work. And I'm reminded of a a friend of mine who who works in a a large hospital and had a 10-year-old with him who had a, there was a staff Wi-Fi network and he hacked the Wi-Fi network in under a minute. Fair play. Because he could. (laughs) For no other reason. Just, you know, it's a bit of fun. Why not? Let's do it. So, Kids will always be technologically advanced um, and that's not always a good thing. But again, it's all about communication and relationships. They're the things that are going to protect kids more than anything when they they go online. As far as social media and their own identity is concerned, they understand, they take a pic, they put a filter on it, it makes them look brilliant. They're saying, I'm doing something fantastic. Mm. Why do they not understand that whoever they are following is doing the very same thing? I think mostly they do. 
the difficulty that I have with the filtering is that, you know, if, if I ask a teenager, if you were to take one selfie, would you be happy with it? Mm. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, one picture? Why, why would I do that? So they will take more and more and more. And this is where some of the difficulties come into it is this, these expectations of perceived perfectionism. Yeah. So they will take loads of until they find what they think is the perfect photo. And then you've got the filters. So we'll we'll take out what are perceived blemishes, and we all have blemishes. Mm-hmm. I've, I've more than my fair share. But when the young person kind of crafts this image and they put it online, and they think, okay, this is the perfect version of me, and they get loads of affirmation. You know, you look gorgeous, you look amazing, you look stunning, um, and that's great in the moment. But when you got to go to school the next day and you can't wear makeup, you can't alter your appearance, you can't take out the little bit of dry skin or the spot that you might have. For a lot of young people, they get anxious that the version of me in the real world is not going to be good enough. People won't like me. And they internalise that anxiety of, I'm not good enough. And it is very difficult in terms of identity creation and identity and figuring out who we are is a typical normal part of adolescence. Mm-hmm. We've all gone through it. And back in the day, again, before social media, we constructed our sense of ourselves through what I think of myself, what I think others think of me and what others think of me. And that's a complex intersection. Mm-hmm. Now we have not only what people think of me and I think of myself in the real world, what do people think of me online? So in the old days, we had, you know, 20 people in our class or 30 people that we used to bounce our identity off. But when you go online, we could be talking thousands or tens of thousands. How do I be good enough for all people at all times? So young people are really struggling in terms of anxiety and insecurity about being good enough. Um, And it is a very complex thing to create an identity in two worlds at the same time. I suppose, though, it doesn't leave you. I mean, if you look at, uh, in my case, my LinkedIn profile, I've, yeah. I have the best possible picture I can. Of the, I mean, if I looked like that, I'd be very happy. In adolescence, our, we're constantly changing. We've got hormones, our bodies, we're getting longer hair, facial hair, tone of voice is changing. And we're always struggling to what we do with adolescence is fit in and to be accepted. Whereas at this stage of our lives, we'd hope either we don't care or we have been accepted. But for adolescent, that is an everyday thing. As we move forward, social media is going to continue. And when Mm. TikTok is the old thing, there'll be something new there to take its place. Uh, Parents presumably will never be able to keep up with that. How do you cope with this? I think I talked about on education is important, what? seeing what's there, but but also not getting caught up in app specifics. So we get lots of people that will talk about the dangers of Facebook mm. and this big conglomerate and about it's you know mining money from our children and the dangers of Facebook. But yet we have to re- the realistic conversation of the kids are not on Facebook, yeah, they're not on Instagram, um, and it, it it will move on. So we we see over time. We saw it with Momo last year. We saw a huge huge panic over it. A simple Google search would have told people in Ireland and the UK at the time it had been discredited 18 months before that. Mm-hmm. But we got into the panic of it. We saw it with SimSimi, we saw it with Sarara, huge panics, warnings about it, and then it's moved on. So I think we need to move away from app-specific concerns because, as you said, they keep changing. Mm. And we think, OK, at least AskFM has, has moved on or Sarara has moved on. We don't need to worry. But there's something else there to take its place. And, and like we, I spoke to you earlier on about it, it's like this game from the years ago, pop a mole. Mm. You pop one down and another one pops yep. up and this will be ever more. So it's about engaging with kids and looking at them, sitting beside them, talking to them about what they're doing, having an interest in the content. Mm. Because for some, I know with, with Instagram in particular, a lot of the people I meet, they post very few photos. Yeah. Um, so there's two main reasons that I found with them because of that. One is they have got such low self-esteem and they're so anxious the idea of putting a picture of myself out there for others to judge is so terrifying, I'm not going to do it. So they'll post pictures of their food or the sun or 
you know, animals or something that mm-hmm. is safe from judgment. The other thing they're using is for chat. So they don't text. They're not using text allowances. They're in group chats on Instagram chatting with their friends. It's a different medium for engaging and connecting. Are they losing the ability to communicate on a personal level? Chatting on that is all very well. You don't get tone yeah. on, on text. For most, no, it's just a different medium and yeah. they see it as that. But for again, for some that might be that bit anxious, that might not believe in themselves that much. When they're online, they can create this message. They can start to type it. They can look at the word and go, oh, no, let's change that. I'll delete it. And it could take maybe two or three minutes to craft what they think is the perfect response. And then Mm. they hit send. In the real world, as you said, you have to worry about tone. You can't in the middle of a conversation say, actually, can I take that word back and Mm. replace it with something else? So for so many people, they end up freezing in the real world offline because I, I, I don't know what to say and I don't know if it'll be good enough. But even online, for some young people, it's not enough. So they send a message and they don't get an instant response. So we know with teenagers, generally they like instant gratification. Mm. Give it to me now. And in interpersonal communication, it's quite similar. So they expect instant responses. And we know that when we use WhatsApp and we see that blue tick, we know that somebody has read it and we think, oh, they've read that. But we think, look, maybe they're busy, they're making the dinner, putting the kids to bed. That's why they haven't responded yet. But for kids who who will be a little bit more insecure and worry about being rejected, they worry about being kind of being ghosted or being dodged. Yeah. So the friend hasn't responded immediately and they'll go to catastrophic thoughts of they don't want to be my friend anymore. I'm lonely. They've left me for somebody else. So even when they're using online communication, it doesn't mean that they're not free of anxiety from it. But some can believe that this is the only thing I'm good at, that I can only communicate via social media and they'll start to pull away from the real world. So we need to make sure that kids who are accessing social media and technology engage as much, if not more, in the real world Mm. too, because they exist in both, and we don't want them to retreat into the online world and increase anxiety. We'd worry about depression from pulling away. So we need to make sure that they get that balance of both and not rush in as parents and think, okay, i got to take the phone away. Because if that's the only medium that you feel you've got any sense of connection with, it's the only medium where you feel like I've got friends. So I'd often have this conversation with parents where, look, how many friends does he have? And just parents say, oh, he's only got two or three. Yeah. And the teenager said, no, I've got 15. And the parents, they're not real friends. So again, the parent is a generational gap. To that young person who feels quite lonely and socially isolated, they're as real as a person in the real world mm. that they meet because of a sense of connection. So if we've got a, an absence of confidence in the real world, we take the offline world away, they're left with nothing. So we need to gradually make sure that we can re-engage them all offline while allowing them to be online too. Okay, I think uh, we've learned an awful lot. Mark Smith from the Psychological Society of Ireland, thank you very much for your time. Uh, that was the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>